chapter 32, verse 1. So Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he exclaimed, This is the camp of God. So he named that place Mahanaim, which basically means the camp of God. We talked about this a while ago. All right, this is Israel. So remember we talked about how there was a Garden of Eden that God built, and he put Adam and Eve into it. When he brings them to Israel, Israel is going to become a symbol of the Garden of Eden. And when we get to Exodus, you're going to find that the tabernacle is basically a little microcosm of the Garden of Eden. He's going to recreate the Garden of Eden in this 150 by 75 foot um, tabernacle. And you're going to see all that, with the light and the, the tree of life is going to be in there through the candle stands and all that kind of stuff. But he also places the tabernacle in what on this map is called Salem, but is later going to be renamed Jerusalem, which means Salem is peace and Jeru is city, so the city of peace. He's going to put it in Jerusalem. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago where, remember, you can't really move west because that's the sea, and the Jews are never seafaring, seafaring people. The south is the desert, and once you go through the desert, yeah, you can move through the desert because of the way of the sea here and the way of the Shur and the King's Highway that go from here to Egypt, but you're never allowed to go back to Egypt for any reason, according to the Bible. So that's pretty much a wall. And then up in the north, you have all these mountains, and you basically can only go through this teeny little keyhole through the Valley of Jezreel and that kind of stuff. And so that's kind of become a barrier that pe most people don't go through, except for just the way of the sea along the highway. But even God kind of forbids that, which means the only way that you can go in and out of Israel is through the Jordan River and between the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee. And so God develops this in a sense that this has become like a Garden of Eden. This whole nation is the tabernacle. And God says, I will put my name on this land, and I will dwell with you as my people. Now remember, wherever God dwells, that becomes his temple, because wherever he is, that is his temple. And by putting his name there, remember, name means character. So he's going to put change his land to become his character. So just like the, the gate and the temple have two pillars, and in between those pillars is a gate, you have the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee acting as a pillar, and the Jordan River becomes a gate. And so when Jacob leaves, notice it says that Jacob returned back to the land through Gilead. Gilead is on the eastern side. He doesn't come from the north. Even though it would have been easier to come from the north, he goes through the Gilead to cross the Jordan. And then when we see, notice the gate and the tabernacle and in the garden is always on the eastern side. And so the idea here is, and this really is important to get, right now it's kind of minor in the Torah, but when we get to Joshua, where does Joshua enter the promised land? Through the east into Jericho, right at Jerusalem, which is going to be like the Holy of Holies. And then when you have Ezekiel, um, Elijah, Elijah leaves crossing the Jordan and goes in and out of the nation across the Jordan, which is making huge theological points you kind of have to go through the kings to get that. Um, but you see this imagery. And then later when we get to Ezekiel, and God is leaving Israel, rejecting them with his glory, he crosses the Jordan when he leaves. And then he promises he'll come back one day across the Jordan. And then when Jesus comes in, and he transforms himself in the glory of God, and he comes in riding the donkey, he comes in crossing the Jordan. 
And so, and I go on and on and on. And basically what you have is examples over and over again where the Jordan is the gateway into this Garden of Eden. Now notice that in the Garden of Eden and on the tabernacle and on the temple, God put cherubim or angels. Cherubim and angels are two different things, but same kind of idea to guard it. And the minute that Jacob left the land and crossed the Jordan 21 years ago, what was the first thing he encountered? Angels. And now that he's come back 21 years later and he's crossing the Jordan back in again, what does he encounter? Angels. And so God is setting this up that this is the promised land because this is where he dwells. And only, remember back to the garden, only in the garden does the land provide blessings. Because when they're kicked out of the garden, they now die. And God is now reestablishing this. This is why Moses died outside the land. It was a judgment against him because of his sin. So he's not allowed to die in the Garden of Eden, so to speak. That doesn't mean he went to hell. I mean, the Bible makes it very clear he went to heaven. Well, not until Jesus died, but, but there was a judgment. And then Deuteronomy makes it very clear that he's being condemned and judged by not allowing him to go into the land. And so this is very important for you to understand that God is beginning to develop this idea that is not fully developed yet because this land doesn't technically belong to Israel yet. But when we get to Deuteronomy and Joshua, when they finally take the land, that idea is going to start really flowering. And the Bible is going to really start developing the idea that that is the garden slash temple. Not literally, because there's still sin there, but in a symbolic sense that Israel's supposed to live in this land and remember, work and till it and expand the garden. The biggest argument against this view, and not that, it, I don't, not that it's an argument against the view, the biggest thing that makes it hard for you to see this is because Israel never does that. It never becomes the garden that they were called to work until, because they never work until it. They just become like everybody else around them. And so that their sin keeps getting in the way of you seeing this for what it's supposed to be. And so Jacob is about ready to enter into the land again, and he encounters angels. And so he's crossing through that gateway, so to speak, because this is where he's supposed to belong. So Jacob comes in. He's in a new place now. So you have to understand, once again, Jacob can't go up into Mesopotamia. And the reason is, he just spent 21 years outside the land of promise with no family to protect his civil rights. So he was with a relative who basically deceived him and cheated him for 21 years because he had no family of his own to protect him with, of his civil rights. So he's going to risk going deeper into Mesopotamia with no family relatives at all. There's no way he's going to survive. So he can't go over to Mesopotamia. He can't really go this way because that's just the desert and you just die. He does not going to go into Egypt because God's not going to allow that. Hopefully we've already learned that with Abraham and Jacob, or sorry, Isaac. He can't go across the sea because they don't see fair at this time. And he has to go back to Canaan because God gave him a direct command to go there. But what's in Canaan? His broken relationship with Esau, who wants to, but what's in the north? His broken relationship with Laban, who wants to kill him. 
This guy has literally put himself between a rock and a hard place, and he has basically broken every relationship around him. And he has a choice to be going this direction and being killed, or going that direction and being killed by the hands of his own family. Because he can't seem to get right with God. He keeps trying to do things through his own efforts. And this is what's leading, just giant dysfunctionality. So he errs on the side of Esau. He knows Laban wants to kill him right now. But Esau's been 21 years. Maybe he's forgotten. So let's roll our dice and take our chance with the lesser of two evils. So he goes down. Jacob, verse 3 of chapter 32, sent messengers on ahead to his brother Esau in the land of Seir and the region of Edom. He commanded them, this is what you must say to Esau. This is what your servant Jacob says. I have been staying with Laban until now. I have oxen, donkey, sheep, and male and female servants. I have sent this message to inform my Lord that I might find favor in your sight. So he sends a messenger ahead, and he sends him with what? All of this wealth. Why? Maybe if I bribe my brother Esau, he won't kill you. On all, what did Esau want all along? The blessing. I'll give him all my blessings and he won't kill me. Is he trusting in God? No. He's seeking to bribe his brother. And that's how he's trying to fix his situation. So he sends the messengers, and the messengers return, and they say, we went to your brother Esau. He's coming to meet you with 400 men. Now this has got to be scary, because they don't come back with a message from Esau. Hate you, or love you now. They come back with, he's got 400 men. What in the world does that mean? Does that mean that he's coming with 400 men to kill me? Or does it mean that he's coming with 400 men to receive me back like I'm royalty? It's a completely mixed message. That he has no idea what to do that. So, what does Jacob do in verse 9? He prays for the first time ever. Why? Because he realizes nothing he's doing is working. After all these years, Laban wants to kill him. Esau wants to kill him. He tried to test the waters with Esau and only got a response of 400 armed men. And he realizes that there's nothing he can do anymore. And just like us, after we've tried everything, he finally gives up and he prays to God. Now before he prays, he also divides his family into two camps. Knowing that maybe if one gets attacked, the other one will have a chance to get away, which is kind of smart. But he finally prays. O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, O Yahweh, you said to me, return to me your land, to your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I am not worthy of all the faithful love that you have shown your servant. With only my walking stick I crossed the Jordan. But now I have become two camps. Rescue me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me as well as my mother with their children. But you said, I will certainly make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the seashore too numerous to count. Notice that he finally acknowledges God of the covenant, not just a God. 
he finally acknowledges his unworthiness. He acknowledges the character of a God that has made promises to him despite his unworthiness. And he claims the promises of the Abrahamic covenant. So notice that he has been paying attention in Sunday school class to speak. He just hasn't been doing it. But when he's finally broken, all those years that his teachers probably thought that they wasted are finally paying off. Now the question is, how long will this last? 